Young adults, what's up? My name is Whitney Bess, and I'm on our Central Youth Team. But you know, Young Adults is my first love. I actually met my husband at Young Adults, so it holds a dear place in my heart. And we are live streaming tonight, so we're taking a break from the podcast. And so let's get that comment section going. Do you love your young adult pastors? Let's throw up an emoji for, if you love Andrew, let's give him a genie emoji. If there's a blue genie, that's even better. I don't know why. That just seems fitting. (laughs) If you love Connor, let's throw a chef emoji his way. I don't know if you know this. Connor is a self-proclaimed Michelin chef. So throw him some love. Zach, a brain, because let's be honest, he's the brains of this organization. Milana, she just got engaged. So let's throw some bling her way. And Keaton, sorry, you get a fist bump. And everyone knows why. All right. Well, they love you, man. They've done such an amazing job this quarantine season, um, man, putting content out there so that you feel in ch- challenged, encouraged, pushed. Um, man, they've done so much stuff. They have a podcast. If you haven't checked it out, they just st- started that. They just launched that. Check it out. Subscribe. Their daily Devo. Amazing. Subscribe to that every morning. You don't have an excuse to not be in the Word. And then if you're just struggling, man, follow them on Instagram at RedRocksYA and just send the DM their way. They'll pray for you. They'll encourage you. But man, we are just so happy that you are tuning in tonight. I know for me, when Andrew called me on Sunday, he asked, he's like, hey, like, what do you want to speak on if um, we'd love to have you? And he kind of opened the floor of possibility to me. And I immediately thought of this one word, disappointment. And I was kind of processing it with a couple of the other team members. And they're like, yeah, like that actually feels like, right, it's a timely subject. And if I could be so bold to say, I actually believe that disappointment is a chief experience we face every single day, especially in this season. And you see disappointment it's sneaky. It'll creep up on you. It's sprinkled out your minutes and days and months and weeks. And I mean, just think about all the times you are disappointed alone this week. Your online dating platform has quarantined itself. Your stimulus check still hasn't arrived. Hey, you guys, we just got ours. So there's hope for you. We can't find a new Netflix binge-worthy show because let's be honest, you've already binged every show worth binging. And Friends is no longer on Netflix. Sad. Boys, you can't show off your six-pack abs you've been working so hard on because pools are just not open. You single-handedly invested all your money this week in online uh, food delivery apps like Grubhub, Uber Eats is my go-to. Ladies, you look like Yzma from Emperor's New Group with your three eyelashes because you can't get a new set. Uh, You build up enough courage to cut your own hair and you're looking like Tiger King behind that screen. No judgment. I don't have courage. I haven't gotten my hair cut and I'm starting to go towards Carol Baskin vibes. (laughs) It's fine. Or this is the last one. This is a good one. Your puppy that you rescued thinking it'd be a cute quarantine uh, project is now diarying over all over your house and it's eating your Nike shoes and you're so upset. It was more of a commitment than you thought. Man, life can be so disappointing. And that's just on a small scale. And I was reading this week um, 
about an article on disappointment. And psycho- psych- oh my gosh, psychologists actually haven't studied the effects of disappointment until recent years. And the findings are actually pretty interesting. And so in cl- uh, clinical studies, they define disappointment as one of these four ways. Number one, it's defined as the psychological reaction to an outcome that does not match up to expectations. So the greater the disparity, the greater the disappointment. Number two, a way in which sadness is experienced. Easy. Uh, Number three, the experience you feel when you consider what might have been in contrast to what exists in the present. Anyone else have to cancel a vacation? Sad. And the last one, this one's a dagger. Man, it's the acceptance of reality. Ouch. That one hurts. And so check with me here because we're about to nerd out. And while we know so much about anxiety and depression, how it affects your hormones and your sympathetic nervous system, disappointment actually stimulates this thing called your parasympathetic nervous system. And so what does this mean? Your parasympathetic nervous system is actually in charge of relaxing your body and it inhibits or it slows down high energy functions, okay? So this is also known as the rest and digest system. And Andrew, no potty jokes in the comment section, okay? And so studies have shown that when you experience disappointment, a chemical response is triggered in your parasympathetic nervous system that results in melancholy, inertia, I had to look that word up, it just means idleness or apathy, and a feeling of hopelessness. And they say if prolonged feelings of disappointment persist, your body actually shows signs of a depressed immune system. Wow. You're like, who let Debbie Downer on this stage? But let me put it this way, because I actually feel like a lot of people can relate. Have you been going to bed recently feeling exhausted from doing relatively nothing in your day? I know I make breakfast and I'm like, I need a nap. Or have you felt like this? It takes you three times longer to accomplish a simple task, maybe laundry or a task in your job. Or maybe for you, you're feeling like this whole quarantine season has actually suppressed your overall capacity. And that's okay. Your physical body is actually processing your disappointment. And so what I want to talk to you guys tonight is this question, how do we reconcile this season as Christ followers? In other words, how do we fight this season of disappointment that we are all facing And there's a story in Luke chapter 24 that I feel like will speak to this very question. And just a little bit of context before we jump in. Jesus had just died two days before this story takes place. And this is big news. Jesus' death would have been in modern day on every news channel known to man, regardless of your party line. CNN, MSNBC, whatever, you name it. Everyone is talking about Jesus' death. And we find these two men... Ordinary men, one doesn't even have a name in scripture, and they're on a walk. So imagine you and your friend, you and your girlfriend, you and your boyfriend, you're on a quarantine walk, and you're just talking about things going on in the news. And we will pick it up in verse 14, um, and it says this, they went, they were in the midst of a discussion 
about all the events the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanying them on their journey, they were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them for God prevented them from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, you seem to be in deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So gloomy, so sad, so melancholy, so apathetic. So young adult, what are you disappointed with tonight? And they stopped, and one named Cleopas answered, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of these things that haven't happened over the last few days? And I love Jesus because he's like, what things? Okay, so he's playing the classic friend. Everyone has this friend that never reads the news, their head's in the sand, and then the news stories that they do post, they're total fake news, and they're posting all over their Twitter feed, and you want to school them. And so Cleo is like, uh... The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful. He had great favor with God and people. He's getting really into it. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. Okay, so this is the event of the disappointment. This is when you lost your job. This is this quarantine. And then he goes on, we all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Okay, so here lies the ripple effect of disappointment. In other words, the chemical reaction of reality recognized. And so if you're taking notes tonight, I have titled this message, The Desert of Disappointment. The desert of disappointment. Let's pray before we jump into tonight's message. God, thank you for um, your word. God, thank you for being a lighthouse in the darkness that we can go and find truth and guidance and purpose. And God, this message has been on my heart. Um, not that we'll just leave di- feeling like disappointed or lowering, lowering our expectations, but God, that there'll be so much understanding in um, seasons of our disappointment, God, that we go in and out of seasons of disappointment, but God, that there'll be so much understanding when we do face um, this in our lives, God, that you want to speak, you want to challenge, and you want to encourage us in this season. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys a little story of a series of disappointing events that I had experienced. So it was a couple years back, and me and my husband, Conrad, we were youth pastors at our Evergreen campus, and we every summer lead a youth trip to Africa. And all the other youth pastors were were students, and so we were so excited. We go every year. We stop at this one store, and it's a really cute store. There's They have handmade jewelry. You get to meet the makers of that jewelry. There's pottery. There's really cute, pretty um, home goods. And so we walk in. And I spot the most amazing, it's like a three foot tall silver giraffe. It is amazing. I'm obsessed to say the least. So I pick it up. It's on a really high shelf. I pick it up. I turn it over and I read $17 and I'm so thrilled. I couldn't, I, my excitement could not be bottled. I'm going around showing everyone, look at this is $17. Conrad is mad at me. He's like, Winnie, how are we going to get this home? We're not buying this. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'll carry it on my back. Like, I don't care. I'm buying this silver draft. So the student walks up to me and she's like, oh, that one's only $17. And I look in her hand and she has this like keychain sized silver hippopotamus. And she's like, I actually wanted to buy this for my mom, but this one's $35. 
And I'm like, what? So I turn it back over and I look and it's not $17. It's $170. So I'm disappointed, but it is what it is. I'm not buying this draft. So I go to put it back, mind you, on a really high shelf. Conrad comes up behind me. I thought I had let it go. He starts tickling me and I let go. I turn around to knock him off me. And to our horror, this giraffe is laying on the floor with its legs, two front legs, completely sideways. So I am panicked. So I go to get my money. I'm like, well, now I'm even more disappointed because now we have to buy this giraffe that's broken, damaged. I now have to pay $170. So I go to get my money and I legit had $100. And there is like no card machine inside. There's no ATM. And so I have to approach this beautiful African woman that made this beautiful piece of home good. And I, I'm like trying to explain to her like what I did. And I'm like, I only have $100, but please take that. And, um, and you can just see like the disappointment like welling up in her eyes. Oh, you guys, I can't even believe I'm telling you this story right now. And I'm sweating. You're probably cringing behind your screen. And to make the whole story worse, Conrad leaves me. He leaves the store. And so I am like trying to make it right. I'm overcome with emotion. I'm disappointed in what I did. I'm disappointed with Conrad. I'm disappointed that I didn't have enough money. I'm disappointed for this lady just trying to make her own livelihood. And long story short, it ended up working out. I gave her money. She kept it. She was going to melt it down and make another one. But I felt like this story is so symbolic of this season, right? Like COVID-19, and then it was safe at home, and then it's safer at home, and then it's quarantine, and then it's media, and then it's unemployment, and then it's politics, and it's the year 2020. Ah, a domino of disappointment, one after the other after the other. And if you're anything like me, it leaves us guessing like, I guess God loves me. I guess he's faithful to me. Like, I guess he has plans for me. And what I have loved about this quarantine season and also hated, despised in this season, is that it has been so exposing. Like, what do I really believe about my God in disappointment? Young and all, I want to ask you that question tonight. What do you really believe about God in your disappointment? And so we can no longer hide behind the church and the facade and the amazing vacation with the perfectly timed verse on your Instagram feed. No, you can't hide behind any of that anymore. And we're forced in this season to confront our disappointments head on. And as I was preparing for this message, um, I just called Andrew and Connor and they kind of like nudged me to talk about this topic because this has been a part of my story for most of my adult life. Like I'm very familiar with disappointment. And when I was in my late teens, my mom actually was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And from that moment on, it was in September, every like four to six months, we, I watched my mom get bad news after bad news after bad news for six years. All the while we were praying and believing for like miracles and healing. But a few weeks before um, our wedding, <clears throat> my mom did ended up passing away and she went home to be with Jesus. And I remember telling a really close friend, I said, you know, I've never 
been this disappointed. Like I've never experienced this level of disappointment to the point where I was in despair, like complete sorrow. And I tell you this story because I know some of you guys are currently in this season and it's heightened even because of this pandemic. Like you have diagnosis in your family member with one of your family members and you can't even go to the hospital. Like I, oh my gosh, my heart just goes out to you. Or maybe there's divorce in your family right now, death, depression, anxiety. There's complete loss of control. And maybe like my story tonight, if you're being honest, you've sunk into despair of of disappointment. You feel melancholy, apathy, hopelessness. And in the story we read a couple moments ago in Luke, these two guys walking along the road weren't just disappointed that Jesus had died. No, they were crushed that Jesus had not saved them and become a physical king of Israel. And you see, backstory, the Roman Empire was in charge at that time, and they were brutal. They were killing Jewish people. They were robbing from them. They were uh, oppressing them. Horrifying stuff. There, There was definitely systemic racism in that culture at that time. And I'm honestly horrified that we're still dealing with that in 2020, 2,000 years later. But there was no mystery for any Jewish person to pray this prayer like, God, rescue us, like, redeem us, send a savior to Israel. And if you actually study earthquakes, switching gears a little bit, um, the scientists say it's actually not the initial quake that does damage. It's the aftershocks that cause the most destruction. And in 1960, we recorded the most powerful earthquake in Chile called the Valdivia. And not only did it cause a tsunami that affected seven countries, but it also erupted a volcano and landslides all over the Andes Mountains, leaving four to six billion dollars worth of uh, damages, thousands of people killed and hundreds of thousands affected. And similarly, this is what our disappointment does. What follows has far greater implications. And so for these guys walking along the road, it wasn't that just Jesus had died. It was now the person that I thought was going to rescue us now is is dead. And the rest of my life, I'm going to have to live in bondage, despair, cruelty, being taken advantage of. And for my story, it wasn't just that my mom had passed. It was the rest of my life, you know, I'm going to, all my happy memories are going to be tinged in sadness, like holidays or when we have our first child or our wedding. And have you ever felt like this? Like I'm disappointed with blank. So now my whole life will be fill in the blank. Like, well, my parents got divorced, so mm, I'm bound to end up like that. Or I failed at my dreams, my dream job, and now I'll never get that opportunity again. Man, have you felt like this? And I love Jesus because scripture says something to this disappointment. He actually meets you in your road of disappointment. And verse 28 says this, as they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead, telling them he was going to a distant place. They urged him to remain there. And I love the King James Version. It says that they physically put their hands on him and constrained him. And they pleaded and they said, stay with us for it will be dark soon. 
So Jesus, what did he do? He went with them into the village, joining them at the table for supper. He took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. All at once, their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes, stunned. They looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with flames of holy passion when we walked beside him? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. And young adult, notice that the outcome didn't change. Jesus didn't save them in the way that they were expecting. Instead, behind your screen, say instead, these men gained profound wisdom, profound knowledge of the Christ. It says that his presence, when, when he was with them, rushed over them so great that scripture says that their hearts burned within them. No, I didn't say heartburn. I can see where you can get confused. I'm talking about God showed up in such a way in their disappointment that it changed them. It changed their hopes. It changed their desires. It changed their outlook. And I was listening to a podcast this week um, and Judah Smith, he has an amazing podcast on um, these scriptures. And he put it this way, the reflection in this moment was something on the inside was resonating and burning. It was physical, tangible, spiritual, internal. It was real. I love that. And so let me wrap this whole thing up for you in this way. Uh, My husband and I, uh, at the end of 2018, and a couple of friends and family members, we ended up going to Israel on a trip. And part of our itinerary was that we will go into the desert and have camel rides and dune buggies and camp with Bedouins. And we are so excited. So we go to the desert, wake up, we see this uh, guide this Israeli guide, he's a shrunken, shriveled man with a bucket hat. He was probably vegan. And he's like, hey, so are you excited for your hike? What? Hike? I said, no, like we were, we're ready to get on camels. I don't think you meant, like here's our itinerary, camels. And I had already my Instagram feed all up and running. I already knew my caption. And he's like, oh no, you cannot get on a camel right now. The camels will, are in heat. They're mating right now, and they will run 35 miles an hour to get to their mate. You can't get on a camel. So I am so disappointed. <laughs> I'm so sad. I had my cute desert outfit on, and it was going to waste for, on this hike. So we set off. We're all hiking. We're all in bad moods. I now can understand why the Israelites grumbled for 40 years, because I'm five minutes in, and I'm already really upset. Sour attitude, sour mood. The desert is hot and dry. Sounds exactly like it sounds, the desert. Okay, so at some point in this hike, I find myself right by the tour guide. And I'm kind of just like asking him questions, honestly, to kind of like throw shade his way. And I ask him, I'm like, so like, what makes you want to do this? Like, why would anyone live in the desert and want to work in the desert besides me? And I'll never forget what he said. Like, it was total game changer for me for my whole life. Like, I don't want to say it was a spiritual experience, but it was very close. And he says, you know, look out. And there's this desert, this Israeli desert. It was like the Grand Canyon, but better. And he says, the desert is a place where things die. But if you look hard enough, there's actually life to be found. And I don't know, young and all, if your disappointment has currently led you to a place of dead, a place of death, dead expectations, dead hopes, dead dreams, dead ambitions. 
But tonight, there's actually life to be found. And Henry David Thoreau, he was an American philosopher and an abolitionist in the 1800s. And I love what he said. He said this, if we will be quiet and ready enough, we shall find compensation in every disappointment. There is life to be found in your disappointment. And so we kept on hiking and my attitude started to change a little bit and I'm leaning in and we came across this flower and it's called the Jericho Rose. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you'd step on it, it's ugly. It looks like a dried mini tumbleweed. And the tour guide was pointing out that this flower actually has a very delicate root system. And that the second this, these roots find water, this flower will spring to life immediately. And he showed us, and it did, into this beautiful yellow flower. And shepherds would actually see this <clears throat> and say, oh, there's water close. And they would actually lead their flock to the water supply. And young adult, you might be in a desert of disappointment, but scripture tells us in Psalm 23 that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores. Other versions say he revives my soul. And so he might not take you out of this desert, but he will lead you by still waters of peace and restoration. And so what does that mean? That in his presence, not on your dating platforms, not on Netflix, in his presence, that you can actually take a deep breath and rest. Rest in the fact that your laundry might take another hour. Rest in the fact that your Instagram feed doesn't look the same. Rest in the fact that you might not feel as productive. There is rest to be found in the desert. And then the tour guide pointed out this bush, this next bush, and it's called the highest Scamus Desertorium. And he said that shepherds would actually muddle this down to an essential oil and they would rub it all over the sheep if it had a wound or a cut and it would heal its inflammation so that the sheep wouldn't get infect infection. And young adult, you might be in a desert of disappointment. But scripture tells us in Psalm 34 that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, that he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And you know, I love this scripture because David is actually writing, you know where this Psalm was written? In a cave, in this desert. And you know what the title of this whole Psalm is? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so he might not take you out of this desert. But scripture makes it so clear, like, man, when you're hurting, when you're upset, when you're afflicted, when you're broken, that he comes near. He's already close, but he comes closer. Proverbs 18 says, Jesus sticks closer than a brother. Psalm 46 says, the Holy Spirit is our ever-present help in time of need, that there's comfort to be found in the desert. And the Torah guide pointed out this last bush, and it's called the Jerusalem sage. And shepherds would actually muddle this down to an oil, but this time they would actually mix it with olive oil. And a shepherd would go over to his sheep and he would anoint each of the sheep's head with this oil. And it would run all down its head, into its eyes, into its nose, mouth, ears, neck. And if the shepherd didn't anoint the sheep's head with this oil, that there actually was bugs and parasites that could actually get into its brain and vital organs, and it would eat the sheep alive. 
and the sheep would actually go wandering off into the desert and it would crush its skull on rocks just to get any relief, killing itself from its pain. And young adult, you might be in a desert of disappointment, wandering to drinking, to hooking up with your ex, to sex, to drugs, to suicidal thoughts, to addiction, just to get relief from the season. And scripture says in Psalm 23, again, that no, he prepares, God prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Man, he wants to sit with you like those two ordinary men in their disappointment 2,000 years ago, that he anoints your head with oil, that your cup overflows. This just means very poetic way of saying his presence will never leave you. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I think when we follow God, these, we read these verses and we think these things are ahead of us or that they're very like transactional. Like, oh, well, that breakthrough will bring me peace. That relationship will restore me. That healing will comfort me. That vacation will maybe ease a little bit of this tension. And I think that's good that the, to believe those things. Like we really do serve in Ephesians 3.20, God, more than we could ask for or think of, imagine. It's part of the human experience to believe for your future. But Psalm 23 hints that maybe there's more than meets the eye. That no matter what you go through, hell or high water, storms, pestilences, diseases, a global pandemic, systemic racism, that we can confidently say, no, like God's goodness will follow me. And this actually means more in Hebrew. It, it means his steadfast love, mercy, kindness, and peace. And so Psalm 23 is saying that I know I might not feel God right now in this moment. I know I might not see God, man, there are enemies surrounding me. I might not be aware, fully aware of what God is doing, but his goodness will follow me. His goodness will follow you, young adult. And in my research, um, dozens of mental health experts and psychologists have all agreed that the worst thing you can do in fighting off disappointment is stay and dwell on the negativity and overlooking the positive. There's life to be found. And countless studies have shown to be effective in overcoming disappointment is to actually examine your disappointment for what it is, truly, and then imagining in your mind, letting go of that which you cannot control. So in other words, redirecting your thoughts towards understanding your humanness, understanding your fragility, understanding that of which you cannot control, and then releasing it. And I love this. This is not new if you're a believer for more than five minutes. That uh, Science is always catching up to the word of God. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast your cares onto him for he careth for you. The King James Version. And so as we are all in a season of disappointment, a desert of disappointment in some way, shape, or form, I mean, I want to redirect our human reflection tonight to a God that is so aware of what you're going through. And my mom, every night before bed, there was this verse that she would recite over me and my two sisters. She would pray it, she would sing it. Sometimes she would like proclaim it. And maybe this is what you need to do tonight. And so wherever you are, this might be a little weird, but can you just like hold your hands out like this? And I want you to receive this verse my mom prayed over us growing up. Because I believe that this verse, these words, is the only thing I've been able to cling to in this crazy chaotic season. And it's this, Psalm 91 says, though a thousand may fall at your side 
and 10,000 may fall at your right hand. No harm shall befall on you because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. No plague comes near your dwelling. My mom used to say, no evil comes near your dwelling place. And the Greek word here for dwelling, it means, uh, oh hell. And it means the covering of your home or a place of flourishing. And New Testament language, this is like where the Holy Spirit dwells and is at work within. It's right here. And this has been my prayer in the desert of your disappointment, all the things we can't fix, all the things we can't change, all the things we've tried to manipulate and we just can't, that there will be a strengthening of our ohel, that an unwavering hope of God's mercy, loving kindness, peace, goodness will follow us. And so as we enter into a time of worship, I kind of want to imagine yourself sitting at the table if you already are sitting at a table, it's amazing, it's prophetic. <laughs> like these two men did 2000 years ago, breaking bread and communing with the creator of the universe, picturing like, what are you disappointed about? And then releasing it, giving it control to Jesus. And I believe that there'll be a beautiful exchange tonight, so much so that your heart will burn within you, that there'll be a strengthening of your inner man, of your oh hell. And so God, we just believe as we end tonight that we wanna be the most effective carriers of the gospel. God, we don't wanna hide behind um, our pain, our hurt, our sorrow, our grief. God, we wanna understand where you're at work within us. And so God, as we release to you um, all the things that we can't control, we believe that your character will follow us that your character will follow us in our trials, that your character, your peace, your goodness will surround us. And we love you so much, God. I pray for those that are having a hard time releasing control. God, I pray that you just beckon them, that you just speak to them, you nudge them. God, that no evil will come near their dwelling place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.